Good morning, church. Really great to be with you again. We record this on Thursday, and yesterday, Wednesday, in our capital was really just a very disturbing, distressing uh, scene. Uh, no doubt by the time this is aired, by the time you're listening to me, uh, much news is going to be recorded and much analysis would be made. But uh, this is what I'm reading in the newspaper this morning. Wednesday, which uh, is typically a routine procedure in the presidential transition, descended into one of the darkest days of, for American democracy. Uh, Congress's procedure to certify the election results in favor of Joe Biden was halted when a mob of President Trump's supporters infiltrated the U.S. Capitol building shortly before Trump held a rally in which he repeated lies that, were, that he had won the last presidential election. The result has been that four people apparently have died as the Capitol was overrun and two pipe bombs were recovered. Friends, uh, this is disturbing on just so many different levels but uh, particularly disturbing for me for the way that politics and Christianity have become uh, uh, interlinked in very, very unhealthy ways. Uh, I just keep saying, what is our Christian response to this? And surely we need to be convicted to pray for our country, uh, to pray for our democracy, to pray for unity in our country. Uh, I mean, Jesus wants us to love our neighbors, and our neighbors have become people in church which have different political views, people in our country which have different political views. But even if it's our enemies, I mean, if we're starting to see our friends or our fellow citizens as our enemies, we need to be praying for them. Uh, we need to love our enemies. And so I just ask us to really have, uh, you know, a, a heart of compassion for those that are our fellow American citizens. Uh, and love is going to win this out. We have to tone down the rhetoric. Our words carry weight. Friends, join me. Praying for this country. Praying for our friends praying for our fellow citizens. Well, let me ask maybe a different question. Why do you come to church? Or why are you listening online today? What is the reason that you're listening? Uh, or maybe more pointedly, how do you decide how often you are going to attend church? Uh, do you make that decision based on a commitment, this is what you do, it's a lifestyle, or is it based on, you know, if it's convenient, or does it happen that you come to church uh, when there's a crisis and you, you need God to intervene in your life, or, or how do you decide how regularly you attend church? And then maybe I could even ask, well, what is church? Is church small group? Is church uh, this experience, Sunday morning experience? 
is church a combination of both small group and in-person attendance or online attendance? What is church when I say attend church? And again, I want to make a plug that going to church is attending a big group gathering and attending a small group gathering. Because there's something different that happens when we all get together and there's something else that happens when we can be in small groups and we all have a chance to interact and, and talk and uh, express our thoughts and our feelings and be prayed for individually. So I really suggest that we do both. Today I want to open in prayer as we jump into this idea of can you be a Christian and not regularly attend church. Uh, I want to open up with really praying Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Lord Jesus, I just pray these verses. Lord, I just pray that they would hit our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd allow me to be able to expound on them and to preach your will in your name, Jesus. Well, I, I obviously could do a whole sermon on these really powerful verses, which I'm not going to, but I do want to point out a few of these uh, thoughts here. <clears throat> I plead with you to give your bodies to God, and I plead with you to consider regularly attending church. It's a way of giving your bodies, giving your your, your, your ability to allow God to do something great in your life. But you have to make yourself available. And it's a form of saying thank you back to Jesus. Uh, it says, let them be living sacrifices, the kinds he will find acceptable. I mean, part of attending church and doing small groups together is saying, God, I'm trying to give back to you. I'm trying to express my thanks to what you've done which is absolutely incredible in my life. But again, uh, when we look at verse, uh, verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. The big idea here is that we let God transform us into becoming a new person. It's not our own struggle. It's not our own work that does it. We allow God to transform us. Our responsibility is to show up. Can we show up? Can we have our minds attentive? Can we listen? And we can say, God, go at it. Transform me. Shape me. Change me into who you want me to be. Because if we allow God to do that, our lives will be exciting. They will be rewarding. They will be full. And they'll be meaningful. And so 
I want to look at that today, is how do we live our lives? And part of living our lives is being part of Christian community, being part of God's plan, and living in it. Have you ever had a lawnmower and accidentally put two-stroke gasoline into the lawnmower? Maybe it's just me. But let me tell you, the lawnmower still goes. It works. But man, there's blue smoke coming out everywhere. The thing's running unevenly. And it doesn't have, it just doesn't work properly. I mean, you know there's something not right, even though it's still working. And I feel for many Christians, that's their life. Yes, they've become saved. Yes, they've asked Jesus into their life. But they're not walking it out. They're not living the way God has designed us as believers to live, which is partially attending church regularly and attending small group regularly. In other words, it's being molded by our community. But it's not just any community. It's a faith community. It's God's institution. It's God's community. It's God's, God's plan. And it's been God's plan right throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Let's camp out a little bit in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to just press this idea of being uh, once committed to the Lord or, or saved once versus this ongoing transformation where God makes us into something holy. Look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which never takes away sins. I mean, honestly, it sounds boring. It sounds very religious. It sounds so routine, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really sad. And then we've got verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins. Good for all time. Man, it is never bad news. It never gets old when we say, come to Jesus, receive Jesus, accept Jesus. It, that, it never gets old. It's the starting point for transformation. It's a major turning point when people will say, yes, I want to cooperate with God and I want God first. And realizing that God is bridging this gap for us so that we can connect to the Father, that we can become His children, that we can become saved, that we can become followers of Jesus. But it's the becoming. It's only the starting point. It's a vital starting point. And if you haven't received Christ, I'd encourage you right now, ask Jesus into your life. You've got to experience the love of the Father and the forgiveness. It is the starting point, but it's not the end point. And I think so many people don't attend church regularly because they misunderstand this. It says this, reading on verse 12, Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, talking about Jesus. There he waits until his enemies are humbled, and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Onward 
progressive being made. Yeah, we do have to enter in and uh, we have to actually enjoy it. It's like we have to go on vacation. We can't just talk about it. We can't just, uh, you know, have the means to do it. We have to actually commit and do it and go on vacation to enjoy the, the benefits of vacation. Jesus promises a rich and rewarding life. And we, we need to experience that. But look what it says here in verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. I mean, here's an ongoing, continual thing where we enter into the presence of God, where we say, God, we need to be in your presence again and again and again for you to do what only you can do, and to, which is to, to bless us, to transform us, to change us. So let us go, in, go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. And then in verse 23 it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering from the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. See, the problem isn't on, on God's end. The problem with the rich and rewarding life is on our end. Will we do what we need to do? God wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to show us. Uh, but He also wants us to show up and to cooperate with His Spirit and to cooperate, quite honestly, with other believers. Look what it says in verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Man, a complete contrast to what we saw on TV on Wednesday night in the Capitol. How can we motivate each other to acts of love and good works? And I think when we gather together in church or in small group, uh, part of what we're doing is we're hearing each other's stories and we're thinking of how can we motivate each other? How can we help each other? How can we encourage each other to do the things that God wants us to do, the loving things? And then verse 25, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another. And we take that very lightly. We do forget to get together and to meet together and to make that a commitment uh, to do so. And I would encourage us uh, to constantly want to get together. Now, I understand that online we lose some facet of what we gain in person. Uh, you know, corporate worship is more challenging. And even more challenging than that is actually experiencing the Holy Spirit collectively. There is a dynamic that when we gather together, uh, we are encouraged how other people are worshiping and entering in, and it draws us in, uh, which we can't do as fully when we don't gather together. But part of our heart, uh, there should be a hunger in us that we want to experience the fullness of gathering together. And again, it comes in different ways. Small group and big group, it's not either or. I think it's both and. Because each of it, we gain something different from, from each aspect. It reminds me of a joke I, I heard recently. There was a church that was meeting in a veterans hall 
and uh, around about uh, Veterans Day, they decked up the hall a little bit, and there was a, a, a plaque there with American flags that were put around uh, for the, the veterans who had, who had died in service. And one of the kids came along to the pastor, and they said, why are there so many flags around this thing, and what is that? And the pastor said, well, it's a plaque for those that died in service. <laughs> to which the kid said, I'm not coming to in-person service anymore. I'm sticking to online. I don't want to die in service. Yeah, okay. But there are very specific benefits spiritually that happen when we come to church, which honestly we can't really control. Uh, I was reading a great story about Charles Spurgeon, one of the just giants uh, in church history, just recent, uh, you know, he was a dynamic preacher in England and used by God really, really powerfully. And this one particular, uh, it was a Wednesday night uh, service that he was doing. Uh, he got a word from the Lord about a certain person sitting in the audience. And he did something which would be very... Um, let's say politically incorrect, or maybe we should say not acceptable in church circles to do. And that was this. He pointed at a man and he said, you young man are a shoemaker and you did not come to church on Sunday. In fact, you sold your soul to the devil for four pounds. That's all that you did on Sunday. You sold one pair of shoes. And then he moved on and he carried on preaching. <laughs> so somebody obviously was concerned. Went up to this guy. Uh, I think he followed up with him during the week. And he said, wow, uh, what happened? And the guy said, well, uh, actually it was very helpful. He said, uh, I felt very embarrassed. Uh, I was singled out. Uh, I assumed that uh, the preacher knew me because he'd come into my shop and uh, knew that I was working on Sundays. But then I realized, how would he have known that I, that I only sold one pair of shoes and that I made four pounds of profit? So I immediately gave my life to the Lord and I've changed all my ways. I am not going to open my shoe shop on Sundays. I'm going to commit to going to church regularly. Wow, don't you love it when the Holy Spirit works in that way? And that is actually what we've experienced in our church. We've seen God do dramatic things. And the only thing is we can't control it. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen like every Sunday. But we also can't know when God is going to work. And I've seen it again and again. Those that attend church regularly don't miss out on the blessing. Uh, they're just days where God just seems to work in your own life personally in dramatic ways. I do want to talk about uh, commitment, as I have been, and uh, I want us to think about, you know, the idea that God changes us as we commit. Think about the disciples of Jesus. They weren't exactly friends before they got together, but they made a commitment to follow Jesus. And they became friends. I mean, you know, a tax collector hanging out with fishermen, not so much. But they became friends. And even though 
you know, there were times when Jesus was talking to them and they were bored and they didn't get it and they, you know, the thoughts were elsewhere. Jesus is like preaching something really serious with them and they're thinking about like who's going to be the greatest. You know, by hanging out with Jesus, they became friends and God did something in them. In fact, pretty dramatically, God changed the world through average people. And He's doing that in our lives and in your lives. And part of it is committing to becoming a disciple of Jesus, just regularly going. Look what it says in Ephesians. It says this, Christ loved the church. So there's a parallel here. Christ loves you and Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. He gave up his life for you and he gave up his life for her, the church. Jesus did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. God looks at you and he forgives your sin and he says, you are perfect, without fault. And yet, obviously, there's two things going on here. God is looking at our future with him and he's also looking at us presently and saying, you are not perfect. This church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. I mean, you know that. But God is saying, this is the, organ, the, the, the organization, the, the means, the establishment that he makes people holy. He uses imperfect people like me and others to get together, mold each other, and become who God wants us to become. It happens individually and it happens uh, corporately. Commitment-based relationships produce long-term meaningful relationships. A commitment-based relationship to church, a commitment-based relationship to marriage, a commitment-based relationship to a sports team. If you're going to have long-term benefit, you want to make a commitment to that relationship. There's a parallel with churches and, and marriage. A long-term relationship based in Christ, molded by His love, Going through the ups and the downs is what God wants, wants, wants it to be. But I want to also just hit this idea that Jesus did not come to make Christians. He did not come to make converts. He came to make disciples. And there's just so much more to being a disciple. It's being a convert as a starting point, but becoming a disciple. And the reason is that God has a plan. He has a plan for your individual life, but your individual life's plan is part of God's big plan. And that's where the magic happens, is when God is using you for the purposes of God, and it all fits together. Let me explain it this way. N.T. Wright, who's a popular theologian currently in England, uh, Episcopal theologian, he, he said this, the covenant Jesus makes with us is vocational. God's purpose is not simple relationship with us, not only living with us in community, but to accomplish the mission God has for the church, for our community, starting with what he has started through Abraham. 
Genesis 12, 3. All the families of, on earth will be blessed through you. And God is still in this process of using the church to bless you and to bless people through you and to bless the nations through us. Again, you know, we are to be a people that are blessed and that people want to get the blessing that we got. They see what we got and they want to be blessed the way we are, which again is why it's so disturbing when what we're projecting to the rest of the world on our Capitol Hill with the, the violence and the looting and, and the rioting, it's like this is not what we want to project. We want to project a country that is blessed by God and other people want to receive the blessing we've received. We want our church to be a place that people say, hey, there's a blessing there and we want to receive the blessing. Uh, and that's what God wants for us. You know, Jesus said, the passion for God's house will consume me. And what he meant there in context was he was passionate about the temple because he was passionate about what he was going to be starting, the church. And he was consumed by that. He wanted church, the temple, to function the way it should be functioned, where we as people are connected to God, where we can be inspired, we can receive His love, and in doing that, we can also give gratitude to God, we can thank God, we can worship God and praise God, but we can also then be vehicles that are blessing to others. That's what Jesus was instituting. And He then describes us and describes church as living stones. Look the way he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, we will live in them and walk among them. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We are going to be living stones. God will live in us. But we are stones that are part of a building. One is depending on the other. We are not stones in a field, just in isolation. It works when we are together. And so God wants us to be a community where we are connected to, to each other, not just, you know, an isolated individual. Our living stones are because we help each other, we support each other. If you want to make a declaration that you want to be a follower of Jesus, that you're grateful for, for what He's doing, I encourage you to just commit to doing church and small groups regularly. You will become friends. You will start developing relationships. You will start experiencing God's love. You will start being used by God. Your life will start having meaning. Your life will start becoming full. Friends, I just leave it to you. Make a commitment this year to regularly be part of church weekly and put God first. Bless you.